Welcome to episode 308 of the Microsoft Cloud IT Pro Podcast, recorded live on November 9th, 2022. This is a show about Microsoft 365 and Azure from the perspective of IT pros and end users, where we discuss a topic or recent news and how it relates to you. Today, Scott sits down for an interview with Priya Shetty to talk about Purview in Azure Storage. Great. I'm happy to be back today. We've got another episode on Purview. In the past, we talked a little bit about some of the other parts of the Purview stack and what comes along with Purview for data management and record management. And I'm super excited to have Priya Shetty with me today. Priya is a principal product manager in Azure Storage, and she's responsible for in-place data share and how that composes and comes together inside of Purview. So I think this will be a great kind of rounding out of our previous episodes on Purview. Super excited to have you here today, Priya. Do you want to do a quick introduction for everybody before we get into it? Thanks, Scott. Thank you so much for having me over and uh, super excited to be here as well. I'm Priya Shetty. I'm a principal product manager with Azure Storage. And uh, today I'm excited to be here to talk about storage in place data share with Purview. So looking forward to our conversation. All right. Well, why don't we start at the beginning? Purview is kind of a, a wide stack and potentially a mishmash of things underneath it. Like just high level, what is in-place data sharing? And then we can kind of dive into how that fits into the purview stack. Sounds good, Scott. So in-place data share is basically a mechanism by which a data provider can share data without any data duplication to one or more consumers. This could be within or across organizations. So it could be within the same AAD tenant or across different AAD tenants. And through this, basically what happens is data providers can now share data in real time with consumers. And consumers can run additional workloads or engines on top of the shared data to get richer insights. And the best part about this is provider only pays for storage and any access charges that they incur, and consumers will directly pay for any transactions or IOPS that they incur on shared data. So that's in-place data share at a high level. Gotcha. And when we think about in-place data share in the context of storage, there's all sorts of things going on in storage. We're going to have object storage, which is blobs and uh, ADLS Gen 2, and potentially a bunch of other protocols, SFTP, NFS, things like that. We've got kind of file storage, there's disk storage. This is applicable just to the blob and data lake stack, or does it work with files and things like that as well? This is applicable only for the blob and the ADLS stack. That's right. So just for object storage. Gotcha. Okay, perfect. So, you know, thinking about the object stack and what we have in there today, why would I go and use in-place data share over something like native storage replication? So there's things like geo-redundant storage. Maybe I'm a provider of a data set. Like, let's say, I don't know, I just became a satellite imaging company and I want to sell my imagery to other people and provide it to them so they can kind of run models on top of it and present it back to the world. Like, why would I use data share instead of something maybe, say, like object replication or maybe even doing like one-off easy copies or using some other kind of third-party tool just to do occasional data movement, maybe catch up with deltas, things like that? That's a great question, right? So with copy-based sharing or 
using any of the storage native replication techniques, right, you are looking at making physical copies of data. So there is a chance that there is data proliferation and it's tough to keep up with changes in real time. So, and the other aspect to it is as a provider, you're also incurring data egress charges and things like that. So think about a scenario where you have a really large scale data assets in your data estate. So having petabytes of data in your provider account, and you want to share selective portions of it with consumers, or consumers want to access just selective portions of it and run their workloads and pipelines on it. So instead of having to copy such large-scale data sets, right, InPlayShare is a great fit for such scenarios. So with replication, what happens is it becomes very prohibitive in terms of costs or ensuring that there is data consistency. The other constraint the, uh, to think about is a lot of customers have, you know, regulatory requirements or privacy requirements like GDPR and other geo-regulatory constraints due to which you do not want to allow the copy to happen outside your Azure region. But at the same time, you want to allow consumers the ability to access this and be able to, you know, run pipelines on top of this. So these are the reasons for which in-place data share is better suited than replication technologies to copy it out. Great. So I, I want to key into something you said there, because I, I agree it's a big challenge, is the time-based access to copies and getting things around. Like if I'm if I'm going to use maybe object replication or I'm going to run AZ copy on a schedule or use ADF, things like that, you know, I could have the big cron server in the cloud but it's not even near real time. Like I can't even say it's real time because it's going to run on a schedule. What does data share look like in that context between kind of a provider store, I guess a, a source storage account, and then the kind of target or, or metadata driven thing that sits in front of it? So in that context, I think I'd like to touch upon what the experience looks like to do this share setup, right? Like as a provider, what I do is, uh, so the storage in place data share today, it's in public preview. We are lighting it up to Microsoft purview. So the first thing I need to do is I create a purview account, right? And I go into the governance portal. And within that, basically, I choose my provider storage account from which I want to share data out. Then I choose selective files and folders that I want to share data from. So if I want to choose particular data sets, I have the option to do that. And then the next step, once I've chosen my data assets, is to choose the recipients for this uh, share. As a provider, that's all I need, need to do. So I just go in, I set up a share. Once this is done, a consumer is notified that he has received a share invitation from a provider. So what they do is they accept the share invitation they configure it in such a way that it gets mapped to a consumer target storage account in their own subscription. And when they do this mapping step, basically a data link policy is set up between the provider storage account and the consumer storage account. So we set up that metadata in the back that any, by that what happens is as part of this experience, when the consumer is doing the mapping, he's also providing a path that this is the path in my storage account where I want to access this shared data, right? So at that point in time, once the share is set up, any user or application coming in from the consumer side 
who accesses this mapped path, they get redirected to the provider's tenant. So there is no physical copy of the data happening from provider storage account to consumer storage account. Think of it like a virtual or a symbolic link between these two. That's how it works in the under the covers. Gotcha. So if I come in and I'm the data provider and I delete, I have an ADLS Gen 2 account and you know maybe I was sharing a bunch of Parquet files. So I delete one of those that manifests pretty much immediately on the kind of target side or I guess the consumer side. Absolutely. So to your point, once the share is set up, let's say provider deletes some data it's literally real time for the consumer. Like it's, it's think about the consumers as extended uh, users or consumers from the provider landscape, sort of. So it's pretty much real time. And if not just deletions, right? Any updates, if you want to update files or you want to add files, all of those changes are reflected real time for the consumer as well. So that's the power of in place data share that consumers can tap into this real-time intelligence from provider to be able to gain more richer insights at their end. Awesome. And then from a, I guess, from just a data storage side of things, so you mentioned that as the data provider, all the data stays in my storage account, but Purview kind of sits in the middle with this linking mechanism and has a way to present over to another storage account and say, hey, here's effectively like a redirect or a mask kind of thing for you. So is, is it fair to say that Purview is kind of a, a metadata layer or a proxy layer? So it doesn't actually store your data, but it has to know about your data to be able to perform that mapping from my consumer account over to the provider? So that's a great question. The way to think about this is Purview actually acts as a share orchestration layer. When I say orchestration, it's just involved with the share setup. So what it is doing is it's providing the provider an ability to send a share invitation to a consumer. All of this metadata mapping, setting up that data share policy, and where it is physically stored, the actual metadata is all at the storage level. So under the covers, it's storage service that is doing all the work of making sure the relationship is set up between provider and consumer storage account. What Purview does do is it helps with all of the administrative and the setup and the orchestration piece on the top. Like it makes sure that once this connection is successfully set up, it is pulling the storage service and then notifying the user that yes, a share has been successfully set up. But under the covers, the metadata part of it is still stored on in the store level. Gotcha. And then you also mentioned that as part of kind of that setup flow on the provider side of things, I can go in and I can select not just, let's talk like ADLS Gen 2 and, and hierarchical namespace. So I don't have to share an entire file system. I could show, or, you know, a container, the equivalent of a container in, in blobs, I could share a all the way down to a very specific subfolder. Maybe I have some business process that aggregates data by year, and I only want to share 2022 with Priya, but I might have other partners where I want to share kind of legacy 2021, 2020. So I, I can drill down to that level and pick and choose between those. Yes, yes, that's up. Gotcha. You have all the freedom to decide, do you want to share container level data? Do you want to share time series data? So specific time series data with certain consumers 
and do I want to choose folders or files? You absolutely have the freedom to choose at any level of granularity there. And then it sounded like it was there was a little bit of flexibility on the consumer side as well when they accept that invitation, being able to say, this is the container or file system where I want it to land, and then potentially the subpath within that as well. So maybe I had a specific container. I want this business process to be mapped to this container kind of thing. I'm going to do are back at, you know, maybe like the management plane layer, things like that. I, I still maintain that flexibility. Yes. And that is the whole intention out here that when providers are sharing their data out, one of the requirements we heard a lot from customers is I don't want to share my environment details. I want to obfuscate all of this from the consumer and I want the consumer to manage their access and security on their end to the shared data. We might ask for an audit report or things like that to, you know, check and review access once in a while, but I want this isolation between the provider and the consumer world. But at the same time, on the data side, they should have visibility uh, depending on the authorization model that they set up. So this actually allows for that kind of isolation as you are referring to. Consumers have that ability to also define that, okay, I have received data from multiple providers, let's say, and this is how I want to organize it on my end at the store level, right? And they have the freedom to do that and uh, do it uh, based on their business needs and whatever helps uh, them gain more efficiencies at their end. That all makes sense. And then when I'm a, I'm a provider of this data set because I own the data, even though I might not have done things like I'm not controlling maybe ACLs on the consumer side, like you said, I still own the data. So it's not maybe just deleting data, but ultimately like that control really does rest with me as the provider. I assume I'm able to kind of revoke permissions and that you know mechanism, that linkage in the middle, that purview provided just kind of goes away. And then that access is gone. Exactly. And uh, the cool thing is even as part of the experience, we for the provider, we have an option to even set a share expiration time. Let's say you only want to, you already know, I only want to share it for a month or two and that's it. You can actually set a share expiration time when that invitation goes out. And let's say you decide after the fact that I want this access to be time bound, you can always go and edit the share and also, you know, edit that expiration time. So you, you're absolutely right. It is the notion of control. It is the notion of, you know, who has visibility into the security landscape and all that. And providers don't want to share all those confidential details out, but it's a really safe and secure way to share your data without any data duplication and, you know, consumers will have real-time access without having to compromise on any of the confidentiality or security aspects on their side. Perfect. Do you feel overwhelmed by trying to manage your Office 365 environment? Are you facing unexpected issues that disrupt your company's productivity? Intelligent is here to help. Much like you take your car to the mechanic that has specialized knowledge on how to best keep your car running, Intelligent helps you with your Microsoft Cloud environment because that's their expertise. Intelligent keeps up with the latest updates in the Microsoft Cloud to help keep your business running smoothly and ahead of the curve. Whether you are a small organization with just a few users up to an organization of several thousand employees, they want to partner with you to implement and administer your Microsoft Cloud technology. 
Visit them at intellijink.com slash podcast. That's I-N-T-E-L-L-I-G-I-N-K dot com slash podcast for more information or to schedule a 30-minute call to get started with them today. Remember, Intelligent focuses on the Microsoft Cloud so you can focus on your business. I guess I should clarify there. So we talked about the mechanism for creating that in-play share as a, you know a little bit of a, of a one-to-one mapping. So I've got a container and or a file system and I'm going down to the folder level over here as a provider and I'm sharing it with just one other organization. But you mentioned this ability to do either within the same Azure tenant or across different Azure tenants. It's really a one-to-many relationship at the end of the day, correct? I can go in as a data provider and say, I want to share this with five different organizations that all happen to be tied to five different Azure Active Directories. Yes, that's right. So you have the option of choosing to share data with either one consumer or multiple consumers. They can be within the same AAD tenant or they can be in different organizations. We do have a provider-consumer pair set up in terms of policy recognition at the back end. But when it comes to the experience, it's pretty seamless. From the provider's perspective, you have the freedom to do one-to-one or one-to-many, whatever suits your business needs. Awesome. And I have to ask, because you kind of called out the initial scenario as that potentially petabyte-driven customer, are there things that I need to think about as a data provider just with regards to scaling? Like, how should I be thinking about maybe my ongoing access to the data? Like, I could imagine being a data provider for what's ultimately like a downstream processed ETL data set. So maybe I'm doing the thing where I'm selling, you know, anonymized ad-driven stuff. I do a bunch of analysis on customer behavior, and then I aggregate it, put it in a bunch of parquet and shift it downstream. But then I'm not the only one that's accessing that. I have to potentially read and write to it while other consumers are coming in and doing that at the same time. Like, is there any kind of conversation that maybe I should have with consumers of my data to say like, hey, here's some basic guardrails around execution because you are going to be paying for transactions as a consumer. Like, here's how you should be thinking about that on top of my data set. Or do customers really not worry about it? As a provider, what I'd like to do is before I, I get into the specifics of this question, maybe it might help to walk through as a provider, what are the different scenarios, right, for in-place data share? What different ways can I share data with with my consumers? So as a provider, I basically had the option to collaborate with external business partners. So I might want to share, let's say, sales or forecast inventory data with supply chain vendors, or I might have large-scale data sets that might need to be used for image recognition or genomic research or healthcare assessment, right? So I have the freedom to share all of this with external partners without any data duplication. And then these partners can tap into this collective intelligence from these cross-org data sets and then use it for different kinds of needs at their end. It could be product design, market positioning, operational efficiencies, or other business improvements. You also mentioned, you know, this whole business around ISVs and data aggregators doing their own processing and analytics, right? So as a provider, I might have to share raw data from storage account with ISVs and data aggregators, and then they can transform, normalize, and analyze data using their own algorithms and share the results back with the provider. 
Similarly, you could have big data sharing at scale. Obviously, as data volumes continue to grow, providers are always looking to share or monetize their data assets. And this could be, you know, scientific data, seismic data. It could be satellite videos and images like you were mentioning. It could be retail or financial data stored in a data lake storage or a blob storage account. And often these can reach millions of files or petabytes in scale. So all of this data sharing can be actually automated through data share SDK and APIs. And consumers can, you know, have the freedom to access only specific portions of this for their consumption needs. And I alluded to sharing with external partners at the same time, you can share it with even internal partners within the organization. So that's really helpful with enterprises that are looking to looking for ways to foster that data-driven mindset or culture right within their organization. It really helps with those kind of cross-team data sharing intelligence. Now, when it comes to what should consumers keep in mind when providers share data with, there's a legal aspect to all of this, right? There are providers who very particular about who their data is shared with, what can consumers do with it, what are you know operations are they allowed to do, are they allowed to share it further with other for uh, other uh, you know consumers or not, and things like that. All of the legal aspects of data sharing are you know captured in agreements and all that outside of these this product's capabilities. I do want to call that out because providers do need to keep in mind who. When, when they are sharing data with consumers, who are, is the consumer allowed to share that with, right? And what kind of workloads can they run on it? And who can they give access to even within their own customer landscape if providers are particular about who, can, who should be allowed access to this data? All of this needs to be captured in legal agreements between the two. In terms of the scale and the architecture, again, the providers need to think about, you know, when they share data, how much compute is going to be run there, you know, shared data, how many concurrent users are going to hit a single blob or file within that shared data. So those kind of architectural considerations do need to be thought through when they are choosing to share data with one or more consumers. But as the provider, I really haven't lost any operational visibility there. So I can still go use things like Azure Monitor or resource logs from Azure Diagnostics, and I can determine all that. Like ultimately, at the end of the day, it sounds like if I see a connection from a consumer into my data, I'm still going to be able to kind of rationalize that. I'd be able to go into my logs, look at it. And if I did have somebody who was misbehaving, like, you know, they decided that the way to uh, maybe get their data set triage quicker was to spin up a ton of compute on it. And, you know, they throw a thousand cores instead of the hundred that you were expecting. You can still kind of rationalize that and go back and have a conversation with them. Right. The only difference is the provider won't have direct visibility into consumer logs or access. What will happen is they will be able to get a, you know, they will be able to flag it and say that, yes, this is something happening with the shared paths or the data share path. But, there is a reason why they don't have direct visibility into consumer logs and activities. The way this works is there are GDPR constraints with sharing consumer information with providers. 
So storage purview cannot directly allow that visibility to happen under the covers. So we are very careful about what visibility is provided. There are some shares metrics and logs that are surfaced to help with debugging and investigation. And the other way we try to handle this is consumers always have the this thing where they can pull up an inventory of who's accessing the data sets and all that, what kind of access has happened, and they can share the log information with the providers. So there's a fine balance that we have to strike between consent and GDPR and all of the confidentiality regulations and how much visibility we can provide for from the provider's perspective to the logs for sharing activities. Yeah, and it sounds like kind of all the knobs and levers are there to make that happen. But I think that goes back to the point earlier that you're doing this for business reasons. You probably have some type of business relationship. So you and I live in a world of things like NDAs. I like I I, need, I know there's a website I need to go to to check the NDA. Like <laughs> there might be things that come up like that over here too as well. So that, that, that makes perfect sense. And it sounds like it's kind of covered end to end and all ready to go there. So we talked a little bit about kind of use cases and how to create one of these, potentially how to onboard into one of these. And I should mention, uh, I'll put a link in the show notes for everyone. There's a great demo that you have out on YouTube that kind of takes five, six minutes and walks through this process end to end and shows it very clearly. Like <laughs> this is how it all comes together. So real quick, costing. So I'm a, and kind of pricing and billing for this. So as a data provider, I have to obviously pay for my storage. If I've got a that big petabyte of satellite imagery that I want to share, then I've got to pay for a petabyte of data and, and you know everything else that came along with it. But like, can you just kind of walk through kind of billing real quick and and how things look on the provider and the consumer side of the house? Yeah, certainly. So when you think about what is the cost to the customer out here, you obviously have purview in the picture. You have storage in the picture as well. There is absolutely no cost to set up shares within Purview. Purview has other components, which we'll touch upon later in this conversation, because we'll talk about how to think about how DataShare composes with the rest of the uh, capabilities for Purview. But when you think about just pure DataShare functionality, there is no share setup cost within Purview. On the Once a share is set up, on the storage side, Data providers will be paying for, obviously, the data storage and any kind of read or write IOPS that and transactions and so on that they are incurring on their you know, uh, shared data. On the other side, providers are not responsible for any consumer charges. So when consumers come and access the shared data, all of the metrics around their access and the, the all of that gets accrued towards the consumer storage account. So consumers will be billed directly for any read transactions or IOPS that they are incurring on provider shared data based on their actual usage. So we have that billing segregation. That is something that we actually heard as a strong ask from the customers, and we are happy to say that that's something that has been incorporated here. Makes sense. And then as a, if if I'm doing this like as a service, there's all those kind of extra outside agreements that you talked about. So if I want to monetize that data set, I, I can still do that. That's just part of my agreement with with that consumer on the other side. 
Great. And then since you brought it up, <laughs> you kind of let us into it. Let's talk a little bit about how in-place data share composes and fits into the rest of purview. And, you know, with things like data map, data catalog, data policies, all the state insights and and, and all that. And how, how does this all kind of fit together in that story? Like, why isn't it just storage? Why is it Purview. Right. So as you've covered in previous sessions as well, and you're aware that Microsoft Purview obviously is a single pane unified data governance offering, right? You're looking at Purview to gain visibility into all the data assets in your data estate, manage them, protect sensitive data, and then identify risks and ensure that there's regulatory compliance. So Purview has different components, like you mentioned, you have data discovery angle, so you obviously have the data map and the catalog, you have data classification so that you can flag sensitive data, you have data security policies, which are, you know, you have the freedom to do it as the resource-based policies or attribute-based policies, and then you have data quality and data lineage aspects as well. Now, where sharing comes into the picture is, why is sharing not sitting by itself is, when you think about data governance, right? Data sharing is a big aspect of it. As a provider, I want to monitor and manage my data sharing relationships as a, a part of governing my data estate. That is why data share is in, included in the purview suite of components. However, having said that, when you think about the ability to share data from a storage account, we wanted to think about both customers who are looking at purview governance as well as maybe they are not looking at purview governance, but they simply want to share data from storage accounts, right? So both kinds of customers have been accommodated in this experience. So you might have a customer that simply wants to share data. In that case, all they do is they set up a purview account, they create a share or you know, either through the user experience or through the SDKs, and then the sharing experience just works. They can just use Purview to manage and orchestrate their sharing experience. That's completely supported. On the other side, if you're looking at more governed data sharing, then you're using Purview to scan your data estates and discover data. And then you're choosing, okay, I want to share certain storage uh, data assets with certain consumers, and I want to be able to centrally manage and review these relationships. I want to see data sharing lineage and then make decisions based on what reviews I'm doing, right? And these also lend later on to data share policies and things like that. So you have the option to do more governed data sharing as part of data share being as part of the purview data suite. That is why it is included in purview. But we did keep in mind that there may be customers out there that are purely looking at doing data share from storage without using the governance capabilities for Purview. Makes sense. And so I guess for those customers that want to get started with it, whether they're kind of a more advanced Purview customer and they're already into that ecosystem or there's somebody who listens to this and they go, hey, this sounds great. I'd really like to go get hands-on with it. I've seen a demo. You mentioned it's in preview today. What's the onboarding experience look like? Do I have to go do the preview sign-up form thing? Can anybody go and use this? Can you kind of walk me walk us through some of that? Certainly. So you're right. It's in public preview today, and we will be including links in the show notes to help uh, get started. So along with the demo, we have a quick start guide that will walk through all of the prerequisites you need to do. So we don't have to sign up for a preview form, 
but we do have a feature flag behind which we have this feature so you do have to register for the preview so it's a self-serve mechanism uh, the all those instructions are clearly outlined in the collateral you can refer to that register for the feature then once and it is auto approved so once it is approved you simply need to follow the prerequisites and uh, get started nice and easy just a <laughs> just a little resource provider feature registration away yes and for customers who are listening in today we'd love for you to try it out and share your feedback so really looking forward to that perfect well i think we've kind of covered things end to end was there anything i missed or anything else that you'd like to share um no, I think uh, we covered everything we wanted to cover, Scott. So thank again, thank you for the opportunity to come and chat about uh, this. Uh, really excited to uh, share all of the links and other information uh, with our audience and um, looking forward to hearing more feedback about this. Perfect. Well, thanks so much for the time today. If folks want to find you, what's the best way? Do you have a Twitter account? Or are you on LinkedIn? Do you have any preference there? I am on LinkedIn. I can. We can include that uh, as part of the show notes too. Yeah. All right. Great. Well, thanks so much for the time today, Priya. I really appreciate it. Thank you again, Scott. If you enjoyed the podcast, go leave us a five-star rating in iTunes. It helps to get the word out so more IT pros can learn about Office 365 and Azure. If you have any questions you want us to address on the show or feedback about the show, feel free to reach out via our website, Twitter, or Facebook. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.